Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle, creator of the Teenage Personality Quiz. Head to TalkingToTeens.com for a free PDF explaining how your teenager thinks. We are here today with Audrey Monk. She is the author of the book Happy Campers, Nine Summer Camp Secrets for Raising Kids Who Become Thriving Adults. She is the owner and director of Gold Arrow Camp in Lakeshore, California since 1989, where she's known by her camp name of Sunshine. She also writes a blog and hosts a podcast called Sunshine Parenting. She is a writer and speaker about positive parenting techniques. She has a master's in psychology, and she's a former president of the Western Association of Independent Camps. She also contributes to Camping Magazine and Camp Parents Blog. She is an expert on building a positive culture and really getting deliberate about instilling positive values and experiences in kids. I am so excited to talk to her about some stories and lessons from her experiences as a director of a camp for thousands of kids and the strategies that she's also implemented in her own home with her own five children. Audrey, thank you so much for making the time to come on the show today. So sort of a non-standard person. We talk to a lot of, you know, scientists on here and, you know, parenting experts who come from kind of the research side. So I had a blast reading this book, uh, which is really different and really refreshing, but also still does tie in a lot of science and a lot of positive psychology in the, the concepts that you talk about in this book. But it's filled with great stories from kind of your times at camp and kids that you've had and also counselors and kind of things that you've learned about how to train your counselors um, so that they can be more effective with the campers. And there's so much stuff I want to talk about, but I'm really interested for a little bit of your story and how you kind of came to running a summer camp and then writing this book about it. Well, I think like most young adults, I had no idea what I wanted to do (laughs) when I was younger. Um, But I did always like working with kids. And so during college, I decided to work at a summer camp just to get some more experience working with kids. I had always thought kind of in the back of my mind that I wanted to be a teacher, but it was a very uncool profession, um, especially where I went to school. I was at Stanford University in the 1980s. And everybody sure. was wanting to work for, you know, Oracle and Coca-Cola and kind of like <laughs> real jobs. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. So I, um, I really didn't know. I started working at camp the summer of 1986. And wow, just the, the whole experience completely changed my life's direction because 
once I experienced that community and culture that was at camp and the opportunity to interact and teach kids in a way that was very unlike other settings, um, very much more relational, more like I often tell people that if it had been a profession, being like a teenager's life coach would have been my, <laughs> my maybe the one that the job that I would have yeah, liked because I loved. Yeah, right. yeah, I love just sitting around campfires. I love talking to the kids about you know, what they cared about, what they were worried about. Um, I love teaching them. I, I taught water skiing and I loved teaching them a skill that was really hard to learn. And then watching them get so excited after, you know, trying so many times, finally getting up. So all around, it was just a very different experience for me being at camp and Pretty much from that first summer, I was like, how can I do this as my job? Um, <laughs> and it really just was sort of, um, I always say, just divine intervention. The timing was just so. Um, the camp was for sale during my entire college time working there because the founder of the camp had passed away and his elderly wife was running it with with kind of a key leadership team and um, really was looking to sell it. So throughout my summers as a counselor, we would always be talking about the different people who were coming through looking at the camp and possibly buying it. And it really mm. just worked out that um, the I had expressed an interest to the the owner and my I was kind of going to be partners with her assistant director, who was a guy that was had been at camp for a long time and was, you know, 20 years older than I was. So he was experienced. And so he was kind of part of the deal, but um, but it had apparently sold to someone else at the end of the summer of '88. So I left camp and kind of knew that it was that was the end of that chapter, and I moved on. I started teaching school in Northern California on an emergency credential, and then right after Christmas 1988, uh, Jeannie, the the widow of the founder, called me and said that the sale had fallen through and was I still interested? And so that kind of started this whole odyssey back in 1989. I was 22 years old when we closed escrow on this business wow. and um, has been such a crazy and awesome experience, you know, just learning so much. And so then at some point, you decided, hey, all these stories that are happening at camp, all these characters I'm meeting, and all this stuff that I'm learning is stuff that would benefit parents, too. And you decided to write this book, Happy Campers. Well, it actually started way before the book. <laughs> I, um, I did start thinking about how many things that we train our counselors in at camp that parents would benefit from so much. I also heard from a lot of past counselors, once they became teachers or parents, how many of the skills they learned at camp they were using you know, with kids out in the world. And so I actually started a, um, a blog way back when, you know, I don't even know what year it was. I started this really like blog blogger or blog something. I don't know. Um, so I think it was somewhere, somewhere in the earlier two thousands, whenever blogs were starting, I started just a blog. <laughs> I called it sunshine parenting and rarely ever posted, but occasionally would get an inspiration and post something. And then I think it was around 2013, I committed to writing a new post every single week. So sharing some kind of tip or information. And just that, I think that 
kind of consistency and regularity, really, I just kind of gathered this small but loyal following, mostly of my own camp's parents, but also of other camp professionals and some teachers who just liked my way of sort of simplifying topics and synthesizing information. I'm a big reader, so I read like you. I know you read all these books about parenting and personal development and everything. I am a huge reader. And a lot of what I was doing was just reading something and then passing along something I learned from that. Or I'd go to a conference and hear a speaker and get some more insights from that. And then also just as we prepared things for training our counselors, much of that is just, I mean, you can right away just turn it right over to parenting. It's exact same things, how to communicate with kids, positive behavior management, you know, what kids need. And so really, I had I did that for many years before I even thought about writing the book. Um, I also started a podcast like you. I have a podcast. It's called Sunshine Parenting, same as my website. And um, I interview all kinds of different uh, parenting authors and experts and have learned even more through that. So I think all of this just kind of came together. And I've, I've always loved reading. I was like, well, I think I can write a book too. <laughs> It really struck me that a lot of the stuff that you talk about in this book that you teach your counselors and that you do at camp is just perfect stuff to be used in the house that parents could be latching on to. I just like took notes on a ton of stuff as I was reading. One of the first things that I really liked was that counselors do a nightly tuck-in with their cabin. Well, that's actually, that was something that um, my friend Sarah at her camp, Yosemite Sierra Summer Camp does. And you'll notice in the book, it's not really just about my camp and my story, but I've included stories from other camps because at traditional, you know, well-run established summer camps, there's a lot of practices that are pretty consistent that you would find. But that was talking about just, you know, I think sometimes as parents, we forget just the importance of daily one-on-one time with our kids and just really giving them our full attention, even if it's just for a few minutes. And at camp, we're really intentional about that because, you know, the counselors are trying to form these relationships with their kids. They have a large group of kids, maybe like at our camp, it's eight to 10 kids to get to know. And so part of our daily practice is some kind of daily check-in. So at at the one that Sarah talked about is a nightly check-in. At our camp, it's more of a just a conversation, a one-on-one chat with kids, and it really can happen anytime throughout the day. It can be while walking from one activity to another or sitting next to them at the meal. And basically, it's just kind of an open-ended time to just ask the kids, hey, how are things going? Is there anything I can help you with? You know, who are you really connecting with? Who are your good friends? What can I, you know, do to help make camp more fun for you? So just different, depending on the counselor and the age of their kids, they can, it doesn't have to be a specific um, kind of script, but it is important that they are giving that child their full attention for even just like two minutes every single day. And so that's something that's a common practice at camps. And like Sarah talks about at her camp, it's when the counselors are tucking the kids in. I think we we do like a hug or high five for kids at tuck in, but not necessarily like a specific conversation. 
So all our kids oh, get kind okay. of tucked in, but it's not def- necessarily an affirmation. At um, at the Sarah, what she talked about and what I shared in the book is they actually share something that they noticed in the child that day, like an affirmation or compliment. So that's pretty cool too. There's so many different ways to do it. And really it's parents just need to pick their own style, but just not forget that you don't want to have all your conversations with your kids. And I know you work especially with teenagers, especially with teenagers. You don't want to only be talking to them about their homework or what they need to bring to school or what the schedule is. You want to have some just kind of like chats about, you know, whatever they want to talk about. Hey, have you guys checked out my favorite nutrition company yet? These guys are called Wild Foods, and they are on a mission to fix the broken food system. They believe, like I do, that real whole food is medicine, and they have set out to partner with farmers so they can get the highest quality ingredients in everything they do wildfoods.co is where you can go to check out everything they sell. I highly recommend it. And they've even given our listeners a 12% discount as part of our partnership. And you can get that with the code TALKINGWILD at wildfoods.co. If you've had any trouble finding the right match for your teenager, or if you've thought about maybe getting a counselor or therapist, but weren't sure where to go to look for the right person, I recommend teencounseling.com. You answer a few questions and they pair your teenager up with the perfect counselor or therapist right where they spend the most time on their smartphone. It's completely affordable and scholarships are available. To find out more, head on over to teencounseling.com and use the code TALKINGTOTEENS. So uh, another thing that I found really interesting was uh, this idea that, you know, counselors are basically on the clock 24-7. They got this kid, this cabin full of kids that are under your control and um, you you're always have responsibility. Um, and so I thought it was cool that another thing you guys are intentional about is um, kind of finding time and finding ways for counselors to like take a break and to get some time off. So how do you do that? How does that work? And then how does that apply to uh, parenting? Well, I think, um, I mean, fortunately for us, our cabin groups all have, almost all of them have at least three counselors <laughs> in there. Um, uh, the younger kids, sometimes even more. So while there might be a group of eight to 10 kids, there are multiple adults who are in the group. And they know both there's like, you know, there's scheduled breaks, but there's also just this understanding. We have a real conversation with them about learning to tap each other out. So if you notice, you know, the, a counselor just kind of not being as patient or responding in a way that doesn't seem characteristic of them, just to tap them and say, hey, you know, let me watch the kids for a little while. Why don't you go take a little walk or something if you want a break? Or just really even better, acknowledging it in yourself, realizing when you're feeling triggered and you really might say or do something you're going to later regret, just taking a moment and figuring out how you can regroup or just get a little moment away. And really, 
unless your kids are, you know, at the age where they're going to, they could stick their finger in a plug, you can, uh, you can take a moment and just even say to your kids, you know, I'm feeling really like I'm going to lose it or I'm going to flip my lid, we call it at camp. Um, So I'm going to take a few minutes to regroup. I'm going to go over here and just sit in this chair with my book for just like five or 10 minutes so I can kind of get re-centered and and be able to talk to you better. You know, so I really, I'm a huge believer in just being honest with kids and just, you know, they don't have to, you know, parents are not perfect, nor are camp counselors. And when we do say or do something, you know, it's important to circle back and say, hey, you know what, I'm really sorry that I snapped at you back there. I think I'm, you know, feeling hungry right now, or I don't think I got enough sleep or, you know, being more like real with them. Um, because if we try to, first of all, say that everything is the kid's fault, which is is unfair because they're kids and they're meant to be impulsive and they are all about triggering adults who they were with. So we really need to be the ones to start communicating and recognizing when we need that break. And, you know, for camp counselors, I mean, the standard is much higher than it is for parents when you think about it. I mean, here we have these 19, 20, 21-year-old kids. Most of them are college students. And they certainly, they can't yell at their kids or do things that parents sometimes do. That would not be okay. And so we have to give them the tools and the structure and the support to make sure that they you know, can maintain just this, you know, level of, of communication and style with the kids that's positive and, and good. And so it's really, yes, a lot of those same skills parents really need, because obviously in our own homes, yeah, we're going to yell sometimes at our kids. We're going to get upset. We're not going to always be patient. We're going to ignore them sometimes. You know, there's all these different things that will, that will happen, but we have them all year. Counselors usually only have kids for a week or two. So if they yell at their kids, the kids might, that might be the only thing they remember about that counselor. Another thing I thought was really cool was um, you, you teach counselors to focus on privileges instead of punishments and kind of to frame, um, frame things in a positive way instead of in a negative way like what you're going to lose if you don't do something, but more framing it in terms of what you're going to get if you do do something. Can you walk me through how that works and how uh, how parents could use that? Definitely. I think this is true of both kids and adults. We would rather be told that we get to do something because we've done something else. So when you think about it in the workplace, like if you, you know, say in a business, you say, hey, if we reach our, you know, sales goals, by Thursday at five, we're going to have a fun Friday and go bowling on the afternoon. You know what I mean? Like you can do it for adults. It works for adults too. So it's instead of if you don't wash the dishes, we're not going out to the movie tonight. Instead, it's um, as soon as the dishes are done, we get to go out to the movie. So it's like (laughs) everything you say, you're saying the same thing. It's not being a pushover and it's not giving your kids a bunch of extra privileges. Right, right, right. It's it's just about the way you think about and phrase things. And then I think also another thing that I think parents, some parents have lost sight of is that 
almost a lot of things are privileges that parents and kids aren't treating as such, you know, in this era. So obviously all children need love and food and shelter and nurturing and all that good stuff. But, you know, they do not, they do not like uh, uh, watching TV or having a phone or using a phone or, you know, having dessert every night. I mean, all these things that they're privileges that parents get to decide what they're for, when they can use them. And so I think parents can reframe their, their, whatever it is that's really bothering them or what they're trying to get accomplished. So like an example would be, like say a child is kind of, you know, slow at getting their homework done. You just can word it like, hey, you know, as soon as your homework is done and, you know, everything's checked off this list, then um, let's, we'll, let's go out to the park or we'll ride our bikes, you know? So, you know, you just, you can say it in a way that's positive and people receive things better when they're worded more positively. So I'd rather hear someone to say to me, yes, you know what? We can definitely go do that fun thing as soon as you finish this. Sounds so much better than, right. no, you can't do that. You can't ride your bikes and you can't go to the park until you finish your homework is basically the negative version. It's the exact yes. same thing, but it just yes. sounds so much better the way you yeah. said it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, it's like, what, how do you feel when someone says no to you? Your first, your whole body like physically responds. Like if you say, you know, do you want to, do you want to go out on a date with me? And someone says, no, you're just like deflated. But if someone says, yes, as soon as, you know, as I'm not available today, but how about next week? You know what I mean? Or oh, something yes, like I'd you just love to. And thank you so much yeah. for inviting me. I'm busy yes. at that time, but I'd really still yes. like to at some other. Yeah, yes. totally. Yeah. But here's the problem with it. Most of us were not raised this way, nor are we used to it. So it doesn't come off our tongues just like you know, naturally. So if you come up with something, I think these are things that parents who are trying to be more positive in their communication actually need to think through. And if you have a parenting partner together, come up with the phrase you're going to use. So like if you have a teenager and maybe it's about car use, I don't know, you could have something like, you know, as soon as all your work is turned in and your grades are all B or above, you can have access to the car on the weekends. Whatever it is. So it's like just, but you have to be in, write it down, right? Figure out what it is that you want to communicate, the privilege that you want to be linked to a behavior and make it appropriate and not too punitive. You know what I mean? Something that hopefully is a new privilege or something that they will recognize is a privilege. Like you get to borrow money. You can eat three meals a day. Yeah. That's <laughs> not the basic needs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Something that really is a privilege. That's not a basic, right? Yeah. We will smile at you. Uh, no, that's cool. I really like that. And I think that's so powerful. The second thing that I had marked in here is just that we tend to kind of like put negative labels on things like that someone's being grouchy instead of like talking about what the exact behavior is that they're doing which is their tone of voice or something more specific it's hard to just stop being grouchy but if it's more specific a you can't argue with it and b then you know what to change so i'm just wondering like how you are like is this something that you guys train your counselors to do and if so how do you do that or if not what as a parent how could you get better at kind of getting to the root issue instead of just complaining with the label 
<laughs> well, this is actually, this came from from our management training. So, you know, we, in addition to our counselors, we have a whole team of supervisors who are the support and motivators and trainers and supervisors of the counselors. So these are usually, mm. um, you know, older staff. And this whole concept actually came from a leadership training that we did. Well, we do it every year, but we started it in the late 90s. And in any kind of situation, if you label someone or accuse them of something that's like an adjective, that's a very, first of all, it makes the person feel very defensive. And they can dispute that because I might think something is grouchy that you don't think is grouchy. So if I say, you were being grouchy this morning, they can say, well, no, I wasn't. You know, I mean, or I, what do you mean? And they, you know, it can be, become a weird conversation tired, right? because... Yeah. And so like this, it, the subjectivity of those labels is all, and it also makes you feel attacked when someone labels you like that. But if Absolutely. you can think about it in any conversation, and this works honestly with coworkers, people you supervise, your kids, your spouse, instead of approaching, if there's some kind of issue or thing that you need to discuss, thinking about yourself being in one circle, the other person in another, and both of you pointing down, talking about the issue. So it takes some time. Often when this comes up a lot, when you know supervisors need to talk to their counselors or counselors need to talk to the kids, usually you have to kind of run it by someone else first when you're first learning to do this. So like you might say, the supervisor might come to us and say, this counselor is just like really slow at getting up in the morning and the, you know, kind of grouchy to the kids and grumbly and, you know, something like that. So, um, so we would brainstorm then, well, what is an issue that we can talk about? The issue could be that, um, you know, the kids aren't getting to breakfast on time or the kids are, um, you know, not enjoying the morning. They're reporting that the mornings aren't fun in the cabin. Um, so you think of an issue that you can go to the person and say, hey, you know what? Your campers are saying that it's just not that fun in the morning in your cabin. What um, What are some things that, the, what can I help you come up with a plan of making the cabin more fun in the morning? So you turn around the conversation where it's not about you are doing this, you're, you know, labeling instead of, hey, here's this issue. Let's work on solving it together. So with kids, you know, it could be something like, you know, um, I've, you know, when I walk by your room, there's a really bad smell emanating from it. Um, do you have a plan? <laughs> you know, what's your plan for kind of working on this smell? Because it's the smell is um, impacting the rest of us in the house. You know what I mean? Like, so whatever, like you could think of an issue that's not you are a slob. Your room is so gross. You know, you're instead you never you, clean you think up of after something. yourself. Yeah. Why? Haven't you know, we it's... taught you better manners than that? What is uh -huh. going on? Yeah. yeah. So it's, but it's, it's so just easy to go there. Oh my gosh, it comes right again. It just, that's what comes naturally because that's what we were raised with. And so it's really a switch in how you think about approaching these things. And it's especially just approaching the problem areas or things that you want to change. I would say also that as a parent and as a camp counselor, really pick your battles. I saw that you had Catherine Perlman on. I've had her on my podcast too. I love her book, Ignore It. And it was really um, meaningful for me, especially like I remember thinking about after reading her book that like when my 14-year-old son is doing the dishes but is kind of grouchy as he does them, ignore it. 
Do you know what I mean? Like I used to want my kids to be like cheerful as they did chores. <laughs> right. And, and take me and have a smile on your face. Yeah. So you kind of have to pick your battle. That's an issue not worth like even discussing. So I, and that's an also important because you be, can become such a nag if you're like, do the dishes and smile while you're doing them. We do the dishes all the time for you. You know what I mean? You can go down this whole road of just on and on and on, nagging, nagging, nagging. And I think the bottom line is, first of all, pick your battles. If there's an issue or concern that's really worth addressing, then figure out how to address it in a way that's going to be a productive conversation where your kid is not going to get defensive or feel like they're being attacked. Yep. I think that's so cool. It's just probably eye-opening uh, to look back if you could like record your conversation somehow uh, and notice how many times we label other people or we um, just without thinking, you know, give them uh, some complaint about just how we see them or the way we think they are instead of addressing the behavior. And so I think it's something we can all get better at. I agree. And I also think, I think teenagers are awesome. I mean, they are, the kids I get to work with at camp are such outstanding young people. And I think just even in general, when you start putting these blanket labels just on teenagers or, you know, whatever, iGen or millennials or whatever generation you're talking about, right. it's just, um, that's just also just kind of disrespectful and not very kind to these kids who are each very different and have different personalities and strengths and you know, that's another one of my big messages for counselors and for parents and teachers is instead of focusing on just the areas that your child is not good at or areas of weakness, why not just spend a lot more time talking to them and thinking about and complimenting them on their strengths? Because if a kid is feeling confident and good about themselves, all the kind of lower things will lift themselves up naturally. But if you focus all your time talking about what's going wrong, what they're not doing well, they're going to be deflated. And even the things they're good at, they won't be as good at anymore. We're here with Audrey Monk talking about tips from her book, Happy Campers, and how parents can get deliberate about building positive routines with your kids. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. And what their kid really needs to be hearing is, oh my gosh, this sounds really, really rough. And I have a lot of confidence in you that you can, you can make it through this. It's like not expecting all the times to be great, but really keeping track of which times are, taking advantage of those, and then trying to make small changes that make the really bad times a day not really bad every single day. The story that you're referring to, I think, from my book, it was actually a counselor. He was a great counselor, and he left after the first session. And he told us it was because of um, some kind of, like, illness in the family or something. But I ran into him, like, eight years later at the end of a marathon. And he was still bothered by the fact that he had left early. And he told me it was because he was homesick. And he was like a 23-year-old. Um, he was a student teacher. He was getting his teaching credential at the time he was working for us. So, you know, here's a guy who had just, he had lived in his hometown his whole life. This was really his first experience being away from his kind of comfort zone. And he was doing a really good job as a counselor, but he couldn't really acknowledge that he was homesick and talk about it. So therefore, he ended up leaving. And I was like astounded that it was still bugging him eight years later. 
sometimes parents don't realize that when they don't express confidence in their child about doing anything new, that that's hard for the kid. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you.